Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. With me today is Patrick Ray, founder and CEO of Canopy Boulder and the managing director of Poseidon Garden Fund, a cannabis fund. Patrick, welcome. Yeah, thank you. And I'm glad to be here. Good. Tell us a little bit about, uh, first, Canopy Boulder. Yes. So Canopy Boulder uh, was a business accelerator that I co-founded with a couple other partners uh, back in 2013-14. Colorado was just uh, legalizing adult use cannabis January 1st, 2014. And uh, that was around the time we started raising our first investment fund to invest via a business accelerator model. Mm-hmm. in lovely Boulder, Colorado. And through the life of Canopy Boulder, we invested in and helped launch 115 companies into the cannabis industry, we made over 130 plus investments, individual investments in these. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, wanted, did what we wanted to do, which was to help build a foundation, a framework, an infrastructure uh, of ancillary products and services companies in the cannabis industry. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, 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 you know, I was thinking back. I could not remember when we when we passed that recreational cannabis. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. It, I can't uh, believe it's been that many years. It's been it's been seven and a half years already. Yeah, yeah. I remember the the footage and the images of January first, twenty fourteen. It was a very <laughs> cold day, uh, <laughs> but there were people lined up outside of dispensaries wanting to make purchases on that first day wow. of adult use mm-hmm. legal cannabis. That's fantastic. So you mentioned that you did, uh, what, 130 investments. Where are those companies now? Well, and, and, they're and, all and, over. Yeah. And, and what would you say your success rate was? You know, I think the success rate was pretty good. It's, uh, you know, with business accelerators, you know, the success rate is typically higher than for, for the startups than if startups launch and go it on their own. Mm-hmm. You hear that, like that, 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 that people say all oh, one in 10 startups That's succeed right. with accelerators. The number is much higher. Yeah. Um, I can't quote a specific number, but mm-hmm. I know for our, uh, for our business accelerator on average, we were investing in 20, 19, 20 companies a year. And, you know, mm-hmm. a, a number of them have failed, you know, uh, quite a few mm-hmm. have failed. Not all of them will succeed, but for every one of our five funds, Canopy Boulder funds, we have about six or seven companies that are still making progress, um, still growing, still doing what they set out to be. Um, so, you know, the, the I guess the success rate, that makes it probably about 25%, so mm-hmm. much better than the 10%. Yeah, there's no question. I've, I've said that so many times. I don't know why you know, investment firms don't do things a little bit differently and give the support that, that, you know, their, their portfolio companies need. Well, I think every investment fund, they have the intention. And if you ask them, they would say that they're very supportive, right. <laughs> but there's always a gap between what people uh, expect and what they get or what they want and what they actually need. 
Yeah. Um, you know, I've been on both sides of that table, uh, wanting more um, or wanting less, frankly, from investors. Mm-hmm. And uh, as an investor, wanting to give more or, you know, not having enough time to, you know, meet all the needs of all the teams all the time. So it's it's definitely something that I think everybody tries to do and it's hard, you know, mm-hmm. it's very hard. It takes a lot of work. When you co-founded Canopy Boulder, uh, were there was there anyone else doing cannabis accelerators or were you it? I think we were the first. There wow. were rumblings from maybe an existing accelerator in, I think, Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And Pennsylvania wasn't even legal at the time. And they wanted to get in the business, but obviously there were challenges to sure. you know, running an incubator accelerator right. in a state where cannabis at the time wasn't medical wasn't or adult use legal. Um, a big part of a successful accelerator is having a, um, you know, uh, being in a place where there's an active and healthy industry and group of professionals that you can tap sure. into as mentors. Mm-hmm. And that made Colorado a great place to do that mm-hmm. because we had had a, you know, an existing medical program before Canopy Boulder was launched. Right. And we really didn't make our first investments until 2015. So we were a year in to the adult use program. So there was just a lot of positive energy and excitement about the industry at that time. And, you know, we had more mentors and advisors than we could process that wanted yeah, to work with us. That's fantastic. Um, so you stepped down with from as CEO of Canopy Boulder um, to start the Poseidon Garden Fund. Uh, tell me a little bit about why you did that and the impetus behind the fund. I mean, I can see that, you know, it's in the cannabis industry, so it makes some sense. But what was your line of thinking? Well, you know, I think the average tenure for someone running a business accelerator is about two, two and a half years. Mm -hmm. And I've been at it for six or seven. Um, So I am a glutton for punishment. Like I said, (laughs) it's a lot of work. People love the idea of business accelerators and incubators um, until they get sort of behind the curtain and understand all the work that needs to be done, Mm -hmm. uh, raising, managing funds. Uh, That's one thing, but then recruiting, uh, you know, uh, negotiating and then signing investments for, you know, 10 companies at a time and then running an accelerator program. And then I'm, you know, there are accelerator programs out there that are very hands-off and light or loose. Um, Ours was very structured. We modeled Canopy Boulder after Techstars, which was very intense, Mm -hmm. uh, hands-on program. So we had every hour of every day for 13 weeks uh, scheduled and structured. Um, so that it was a big commitment of time and energy. I think honestly, if I'm being honest about myself, uh, you know, I was looking for a new challenge and, um, you know, there was a great opportunity to work with Poseidon, a team that I'd known since the beginning. Mm. Uh, one of the first investor conferences I ever went to, I met Emily and Morgan Paxia, the two co-founders, brother and sister team. Mm -hmm. And we immediately had a connection. We knew like, okay, this is where we're thinking about the industry the same way. We're thinking about investing the same way. We should try to work together. We talked mm-hmm. about it. Timing wasn't right. Uh, timing was right uh, this last year. So here we are. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, what are some of the challenges you're finding at Poseidon? Oh, you know, the, the two challenges when you're running a venture fund in the cannabis industry are very simple. One is raising the capital. You know, so we are raising mostly from high net worth individual investors and family mm-hmm. offices. It's actually going exceptionally well, Good. Uh, better than I imagined and expected. We're on path to hit our $50 million target. Wonderful. Um, so that's good. 
Um, and I, that's part of the reasons I wanted to come to Poseidon. They have such a great record of investments and returns for their investors. Mm-hmm. That makes mm-hmm. it a lot easier to raise capital when you return money to investors, right? Um, right? The other challenge is finding companies that are worth investing in. You know, strong teams mm-hmm. um, that are open to uh, working with the venture fund. I mean, we, we're active investors. We want to sit on boards. We right. want to have a hand and help as much as possible, mm-hmm. you know, bringing our network to uh, to the teams and making it a real asset. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest challenges, though, with investing in the cannabis industry is valuation. And there's a lot of investors that are individ- individuals, maybe they're dentists or they're doctors or lawyers or vets or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they deals come their way through their network as things do happen that way. And they, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I want to invest in cannabis. I'm going to put money in. And they don't understand the dynamics. They don't understand exit valuations. They don't understand the requirements for further capital and dilution. And they find themselves going into deals and and essentially accepting the deal that's offered to them, which is often very favorable to the company. Of course. Um, And they may never, ever see the return that they're expecting to see from a high risk investment into the cannabis industry. So, you know, for Poseidon, we do deep due diligence. Uh, We will go through the financial projections. We'll go through the budgets. We question all the assumptions. We want to make sure because it's not our money, it's our investors money that we are investing in in terms. And then there's a plan for exit at the end of the rainbow, right? Where there's going to be a big Mm -hmm. pot of gold for everyone. Mm -hmm. And it will satisfy our expectations for returns uh, to come from investing in the cannabis industry. So, you know, if you're a founder and you don't want help, you want silent investors, you don't want to, you want to take in their money and never talk to them again. uh, We're not the people. If you want to raise money at some inflated valuation, see if you can get away with it. (laughs) Probably not going to have a very long conversation with us. We very much clearly understand the value of businesses at the stages in which companies are raising capital. We also understand the exit valuations, what people are willing to pay. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, we bring that to the table. Um, That can be a great asset for a founding team in raising more capital Mm -hmm. uh, because you're not way out ahead of your skis right before you even have an operating business. Yeah, that's that's really great. I mean, it sounds like you have such a I mean, really a healthy holistic attitude about how you invest. I've, you know, there've been so many stories I've heard and that I've witnessed over the years of working with so many startups in the in the high-tech sector where, you know, the founder who's 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 the technical founder, right? And that person often just wants to do everything on their own. Yeah. And, you know, well, if, and the, the investor, the venture firm may be thinking, yeah, this probably is not the right guy to be the CEO. We would like to bring someone yeah. else in. And they basically say, well, then we're not taking your money. Right. And I've seen venture firms cave because mm-hmm. they really want to get involved. This doesn't happen everywhere, of course. So it sounds like you've got a really great, healthy attitude. Um, what are you looking for in the founding team? Yeah, you know, I think... One of the things that most impresses me about a founding team is experience with the customer base, right? So there are plenty of very capable founders that come into the cannabis industry because it's emerging and right, you know, right. there's people are interested. They're like, I'm going to bring my skill set to the industry, but they don't really get to know the customer base that well. They mm-hmm. don't do a listening tour. They don't do sit downs. They right. don't show up. They've got right. a great idea and it might be a great idea. 
But uh, often that idea is not founded in a very nuanced understanding of mm-hmm. the customer's needs, right? You know, so it can be a great idea, but it can be a great idea in five years. Mm-hmm. Um, in you know, you got to have a business today to realize that vision of tomorrow. So if it's not couched in an understanding of who's going to pay for it, and that it's a real problem that people want to solve now and are willing right. to pay to solve just that problem now you know, it can just remain a good idea. Yeah, that's that. I think that's really important because too often founders think, oh, I've got this really great idea and I'll, let's build it and see if we can find a problem for it to solve. <laughs> yeah, Which right? is really, you know, the ass backwards way to go about doing it and is completely going to be ineffective rather than looking for a problem and then creating the solution to that problem. Yeah, it's a lot easier to come up with a solution or a yeah. lot a lot easier mentally to be like, oh, I've got this solution for this problem and and not do it the other way, which is much mm-hmm. harder, but uh, you know, probably should be the way. Fall in love with the problem, not the solution. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. something that was a mantra we had at Canopy Boulder. Yeah. Um, and if you fall in love with the problem, that problem is going to change, it's going to evolve, mm-hmm. and then your solution will follow. Don't right. lead with the solution, lead with the problem. Exactly. That's great. So you got your start in sort of working in a number of different um, capacities in health and nutrition. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about that journey and how it got you to where you are right now. Well, I'm a a health nut. You know, I love to be outside. I live in Boulder, Colorado. I got up at 530 this morning, went for a bike ride before the day starts. Like that's that's mm-hmm. my mental health te- you know, uh, yep. approach, right? It's like, it, it just makes life a lot easier when you, you can take care of yourself a little bit before you try to take care of others. I agree. So health and wellness, um, you know, my first job was working at a gold gym, right? Literally, it's like been baked into my whole professional career. So coming out of college, I joined at a, a startup investment bank and venture capital firm. It was four newly minted MBAs and me. And that got me, uh, you know, like right into the fire, right? Yeah, Um, sure. So it's great experience. Um, That nutrition industry, which is natural foods, organic foods, dietary Mm -hmm. supplements, it was very similar in sort of, in sort of broad strokes to the cannabis industry. You know, the supplement industry doesn't really fit well into the double blind placebo control Mm -hmm trial model of pharma and medicine, neither will cannabis, right? Um, you know, it's a very passionate group. Um, you know, they don't leave like work at, at, at the office, they live the culture. Um, it's a cannabis is a preferred alternative product to market standard products, right? Mm -hmm. Consumers choose to consume these products. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, as an industry, uh, you know, depending on who you're talking to and when, it's either overregulated or underregulated, right? As an industry as a whole, and there's uh-huh. advantages to both scenarios sure. as a business person. So they felt very yeah. similar to me, um, and you know, I've been able to take a lot of lessons from my experience in the nutrition industry, which was 15 years, mm-hmm. and bring it to the cannabis industry. One of the first um, companies that we wanted to launch and create was a company that would take the checkout data from dispensaries, mill it all together, then publish results. That business mm-hmm. today is BDS Analytics. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been bringing those experiences and uh, awareness of what infrastructure is needed in an industry like this uh, and putting our capital behind it. 
So you mentioned that that uh, both nutrition and certainly currently the cannabis industry do not lend themselves to double blind studies like it does in the pharma business. Why is that? Well, it, it's very simple. Plant medicine is very hard, um, you know, to to sort of fit into that model. The double yeah. blind placebo controlled trial model primarily they sort of investigate uh, single substances or pure substances or molecules, mm. right? And the cannabis plant is made up of hundreds of different sure. cannabinoids, terpenes, right. flavonoids. The entourage effect is not one that is easily measured in that trial where you can isolate. What exactly um, is making the difference? Right. So we do yeah. a trial with a strain of cannabis. Great. Um, you know, even strains express different cannabinoids and different cultivation conditions, mm-hmm. right? So it's really hard and it will be hard uh, to sort of take the, the sort of the elegance of the plant, the whole plant and run it through a trial. Um, so like in many dietary supplements, it's the anecdotal and observational right. uh, experiences and data that mm-hmm. will carry mm-hmm. the industry mm-hmm. forward. And that industry also proves that you don't necessarily need uh, the double blind placebo controlled trials to become a hundred billion dollar market. Yeah, that's so interesting. Um, are there are there other um, cannabis funds or out there now? <laughs> Where does yeah. Poseidon fit in? <laughs> yeah, there there are a lot now. Um, I have to imagine. My, yeah, my wife used to say uh, when she was dating, the odds are good, but the goods are odd when you're talking. <laughs> that's great. So uh, there's a lot of funds out there. I think you got to be very mindful of who you're working with, um, mm-hmm. not only as an investor, but also an entrepreneur and very much inter- interview, uh, understand, seek to understand what the team and the fund is going to accomplish and how they're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's there's quite a few funds out there now. Back when we started, you know, Canopy Boulder started in 2014. Poseidon, I think, started in 2013. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we met early on. We were two of the only funds that were funded and actively investing in the space. I mean, you could wow. have counted them on, you know, one hand back then. So mm-hmm. we were very early in, um, you know, they say the pioneers are sometimes the arrow catchers. Uh, so we were definitely catching arrows and it was some good hard won experiences back in 2015. Um, but, you know, we're carry on and build on those experiences to the fund today. Mm-hmm. And uh, you mentioned it. This is the third Poseidon Fund, one I'm in partnership with them on, and uh, it's called the Poseidon Garden Fund. Mm-hmm. And we're uh, we're already made our first couple of investments, uh, so it's off to the races. Good. That's that. That was my next question: is how many investments have you made in this particular fund? The Garden Fund is up to you said just close to fifty million dollars, right? Yeah, we're okay. uh, targeting fifty million for the fund size. We can go much larger. Um, we've already raised uh, 20% of that and okay. uh, we deployed into two companies, uh, two technology companies. Mm-hmm. And we're looking at the other group of investments that we're going to make are into single state operators. So licensed businesses that touch the plant. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're well on the way. We should have one announced. Uh, yeah, I always say very soon, but these things take time. So I don't want to commit to any timeline. Yeah. But we're going to be actively investing in businesses that touch the plant single state operators who are going to be fantastic targets for acquisition by the multi-state mm-hmm. operators. What stage do you invest in? So we invest in what we call is like a, the post seed stage. 
So this is a period in which a business it's after the sort of family and friends round the <laughs> seed stage where you're bringing in your first real checks, your first capital to create a proof of concept right? Um, and get some initial traction. You know, once that's done and there's initial proof of concept and traction, the founders are sort of have a little tiger by its tail and they're thinking about how they're going to scale the business. That's when we come in. That's where we have the most experience as a team. Right. Um, and we can really, I think, help the companies navigate some of the challenges that they'll face. Um, and I've got plenty of stories to tell about helping companies navigate these challenges. Obviously, mm-hmm. investing in 115 companies at the seed stage, which is where yeah. we were investing at Canopy yeah. Boulder, mm-hmm. you know, very quickly, they're in that post-seed and Series A. And uh, so, you know, there's very little we have not experienced. Right. So you're, you're doing, it's kind of like a seed plus, but not an A round. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not the A round yet. Um, typically those valuations get priced way up um, in the series A round, uh, because there's a lot of funds that are focused on series A. There's not as many funds focused on pre-series A. Um, so, you know, for us, it's, uh, an opportunistic, uh, time to be right. investing. Uh, but we don't just write a check and go away. Yeah, we run well. a mastermind for our founders. Uh-huh. We want to sit on the board, either as directors or observers, sure. and then we have more capital for follow-on so that we may lead the series A. Right, we can bring in other investors, our LPs in our fund, they to invest directly. So we want to start uh, early, work with the companies uh, all the way to exit. Patrick, do you have a typical? I mean, you said you've only invested into into companies thus far, but do you have sort of an average? This is what we're looking to invest at this, you know, seed plus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So our initial check size is usually around half a million dollars. Okay, we can go larger. We can be smaller. It really depends on the deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know that's like a good starting amount in that stage of company, and um, like I said, we can do more uh, if the terms are right, and the, the business is right. But um, if people are asking, usually our first investments around five hundred k. So you know, as you said, there there are of course a number of other um, uh, venture firms in the cannabis industry. How does how does the Poseidon Garden Fund fit in? I mean, what you know, if you look at the way you're doing business, and you and you may or may not know this, and look at the way other firms in this industry are doing business, you know, what would you say you're doing better? Where do you need to make up some, some runway? Mm. Yeah. You know, gosh, there's, I would say that one thing that we're doing better is we're doing more analysis on the market and the uh, we're underwriting to the exit yeah, uh, very intensely, you know, like we're not a invest in hope. Hope's not a strategy. Right? We <laughs> I, want to talk. I say it all the time. Hope is not an effective strategy. <laughs> yeah. We want yeah. to invest in a team that is on the same page with us. You know, we have our, our, our fund is an eight year fund term. Okay. So we need to get exit. We need to be exited out of those companies right. by then. So we're looking for founders and teams that want to do the same thing. If you want to create a business and raise venture capital and turn it into a lifestyle business, we're not the investors. For right. That. Got it. And that exit can be either IPO or sale. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. You know, we're going to, we're going to underwrite to a strategic sale. Um, mm-hmm. Typically those are at lower valuations. However, the Poseidon team has, uh, you know, we're early investors in green thumb industries and ascend wellness. Those two companies have IPO, they were okay. early in with PAX and jewel. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's been big exits on uh, in the, in the history of Poseidon. And so there's a lot of experience. It's actually one of the things that attracts a lot of founders to us is that we have 
navigated exits in the cannabis industry. That's fantastic. Um, How do founders found, how do founders find out about Poseidon? Uh, Through podcasts like this, Uh, you know, we're out and about, um, you know, you can always uh, reach out to us through the website. It's Mm -hmm. Poseidon.partners. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. Um, So, uh, but if you know somebody in our network and we have a big network, almost 200 companies, a warm introduction is always nice as well, but we have a mantra of taking the meeting. Um, We know that there is uh, there there are opportunities in this industry that um, you know are really good, and um, we can provide the network. What uh, what bugs you about the cannabis industry? You know, you know, as an investor, the inflated valuations yeah. that we see. Um, there are a lot of investors that are just not sophisticated. They have capital. They're individual right. high net worth individuals. Right, like I said before, they'll, mm-hmm. they'll deals come their way and they're like, okay, um, without doing the analysis, understanding how, yeah. what the valuations are at exit. Uh, so, you know, they're going to invest in 50, hundred K and enough of them come together into the deals, you know, along the way. And they haven't done the analysis to understand that they may not get the money back. They, they, they won't get the return that they're expecting mm-hmm. investing in the cannabis industry. Um, you know, it's just one of those things. Um, so uh, that's something we navigate all the time. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, not every deal gets done sometimes mm-hmm. because of that. Right. Um, is there a, I hate to say this, a typical founder that's getting into this industry? <laughs> No, <laughs> they're all over the map. Um, yeah. I was talking to a, um, uh, a founder yesterday. He's leading a biotech firm. He's a lawyer, um, MBA, right? And that's an interesting combination. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked to founders who have run other technology businesses. We talked, you know, this is really... The cannabis industry is one, it's so exciting for mm-hmm. so many founders um, that it definitely attracts um, people who want to come in and put their stamp on it. So uh, there's no yeah. real one profile. I would say there's some there's some founder types that we run into. We very often run into founders who are very, very confident that you know they can come into this industry, the cannabis industry, and they see a bunch of stoners and think it's going to be a piece of cake. Um, to launch and be successful. And they're wrong. They're very wrong. Um, uh, but you know, those are easy, uh, those are easy deals to pass on, mm-hmm. uh, because of that arrogance or that hubris. Right. Um, That's going to be not a control CE founder that you're gonna have to deal with really. Oh yeah. You need oh, yeah. that agita. Yeah. Um, Oh gosh, I had another question. I was just going to ask you, and I'm forgetting it, but it'll come back to me. Oh, what, what kind of challenges are being presented by the fact that federally cannabis is still illegal, <laughs> if any? Yeah. Well, the pool of acquirers is small right now. Um, and you see a lot of companies going public either through um, IPOs or reverse mergers. And that's a real mm. product of the fact that there is a limited um, pool of acquirers right now. It's growing, which mm-hmm. is very good. I mean, there was, I think it was in Q1 of this year, there was about $2 billion of capital raised by the mm-hmm. largest multi-state operators. 
Most of that was earmarked for acquisition. Oh, we also saw a uh, duchy raise, I think it was $200 million and immediately acquired two competitors, LeafLogics and GreenBits. Mm-hmm. So we're starting to see this, yeah. this sort of in-cannabis industry strategic acquirers uh, becoming funded and making M&A a part of their strategy. Well, right. The inorganic growth, right? You know, gr- yeah. growth, by, growth through acquisition. Yes. Um, there's a lot of companies that have that strategy and it's worked really effectively for them. I, I'd say, I mean, my, my feeling on that, and I'd like to hear your opinion, is when that happens, you know, there, there are challenges at, at, depending on the size of the company, of course, but there are challenges at then integrating that no. company that you just acquired into your, into your culture and into your own team. Yeah. The closing of a deal is not the finish line. It's no, just, not even close. it's the start line. I mean, integration and I've been yeah. through, you know, I did M&A, sell side M&A in mm-hmm. the nutrition industry for a while and have been part of buy side, you know, uh, processes as well. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. And, uh, you know, the investment bankers will, you know, and the lawyers will guide you through a process. And then after that, it's up to you. And so you've got to have a very strong team that has experience with integrating uh, acquisitions if you think you're going to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, it is not easy. A lot of deals fail because of that. They yeah. just do not successfully integrate. Something happens, you know, the, the company gets distracted and then you're wondering why, you know, the company that you acquired a year ago is, has a different CRM and a different comp plan. And, you know, they still have, you know, legacy systems that, you know, we're supposed to be um, eliminated and aligned with new systems um, mm-hmm. after the fact. There's costs involved in that, isn't there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you do an, you do an acquisition, there's always the synergy analysis, mm-hmm. right? And there's the systems analysis, the cost mm-hmm. savings analysis. Uh, if you don't act on those, I mean, the, the whole thesis for the deal sometimes falls apart. Mm-hmm. Um, how many people do you have working for Poseidon? Is it just you and the, the, the brother and sister or there other? No, no, we're a team of six. Uh, and, and it's, it's great. It's great to be part of a larger team, Mm -hmm. a super engaged team, a very experienced team. Uh, it just makes everything easier when you're, you know, and I think everybody knows this when you're working with a really strong team. So, yeah. Tell me a little bit about your company culture. You know, it's, uh, the, the word that comes to mind is positive. You know, we know this industry is tough and there's going to be bumps in the road. So there's yeah. this incredible positive energy on the team. Right. I think it really emanates from, you know, the founders, uh, Emily and Morgan Paxia, uh, you know, hardworking. Uh, they work harder than anybody I know in the industry. Mm-hmm. And with such a positive energy, it really is an inspiring thing to be part of. Mm-hmm. You know, Canopy Boulder, you know, we had this like get it done kind of attitude, like, do it now. Like, you know, there's so much to do when you have something that comes up and you can handle it now, just get it done. And we had also had real high capacities to get work done. Um, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, bringing that to Poseidon, uh, I thought you were bringing that, they've already got it. So it's, it's Mm -hmm. really a good mesh of cultures because not only did I join Poseidon, but um, my operations director at Canopy Boulder, Celia Daly, she joined on as operation director at Poseidon and as a partner in the fund. So oh, we've fantastic. got it was six of us, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Emily and Celia, two women, Andreas, he's Colombian, you know, and then there's three white dudes. 
mean white and Morgan. Um, there's always three white dudes. There's always three white, <laughs> white dudes in it, right? Uh, but I think we're one of the most diverse funds in the uh, cannabis industry. That's great. And we're all partners in it. We're all in it uh, to win it. And it's a great team mm-hmm. energy. I really enjoy it. Uh-huh. So where do you see yourself investing in resources uh, with Poseidon over the next year? Uh, investing in resources. Yeah, resources gosh. for growth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, as a venture fund, you want to spend as much money in investments and as little money in your operations. Right. However, um, we've brought uh, a, you know HubSpot to the team. We've got a very robust CRM. Okay. Um, we spend a lot of time being present, so uh, showing up at industry events. Um, you know, gosh, um, we're very. We're very uh, much hands-on. Um, we are running a mastermind for our founders. So we're investing in that. We're Great. bringing in experts. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the things, you know, I think as a fund in the cannabis industry, you know, you can invest, invest in software. You can invest in businesses that are heavily weighted towards real estate. You can invest in biotech mm-hmm. and ag tech. And you can't be an expert in everything. So we invest pretty heavily in our network and bringing in experts to help us assess deals. Um, And that's, 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 that's an investment that we've been making since the beginning. Mm -hmm. So what kind of experts have you brought in for these masterminds? Well, um, so what kind of expertise? Yeah. 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 So as we assess our first deals, um, we're looking at, you know, like we're looking at a couple of biotechs and I've got a network of folks that are PhDs, Mm -hmm. right. Uh, Biochemistry. They can understand the differences between one approach by one company and another company's approach and help us understand that. So, um, you know, those people are fantastic resources because the science of the cannabis industry is important to every business and mm-hmm. understanding that and whether you're dealing with it directly or through clients, that's important. Um, leadership mm-hmm. is another one. I've been fortunate enough to work with a couple of really apex leaders, mm-hmm. uh, people that you'd want to work with that you, you read about and you, you think you want to be, and then you meet them and you're like, wow, they actually exist. You know, people that are just so such incredible leaders. Those are relationships that I've nurtured over the years and stay in touch with. They're like the A-team, right? That, you know, if if an opportunity comes up with that person or that person, they got your attention, right? Um, And I think we all have those networks. It's just about nurturing and and, and staying close with them. That is the work. Um, So that when the opportunity comes to sort of bring those people in uh, to the mastermind, they're interested, willing, and excited to do it. And, um, you know, you've built that relationship. So they're, they're diving in. You know, I think people really, I mean, I like to believe this people really want to help other people. I mean, there's a, there's a a limit of what somebody might be willing to do, you know, for not a lot of money or for free. Right. Yeah. Um, but you know, I always say it's a mitzvah, right. It's a good deed to do, to give to other people. Yeah. And I think that's super important. Well, you know, one of the things I feel, I feel the same way. I, uh, I'm like, you know, I'm a give first type of person. You know, I, I try to help all the time. I had a request this morning. Hey, can you meet this founder? They're doing this and that. And I know it's in a space we're not interested and, uh, but that this person who was making the interest, he's like, this would go a long way for me. Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Send them my way. Good. I, if I don't, if I don't help people in ways that aren't benefiting me directly a couple times a day, I don't feel like I'm sort of 
putting money, putting, putting value into that account, that bank mm-hmm. where when needed, I can go back to that person and they will dive in and help. It, it's, it's mm-hmm. like a, it's a helping economy, right? Mm-hmm. And I do it all the time. And I hope, you know, I, I invest in that so that there will be, you know, when I need it, uh, I can get it back to I agree. And, and, you know, again, as we had talked, hope is not an effective strategy, but, you know, you hope, listen, you don't do things for people in order to get something in return. That's what I would refer to as manipulation. <laughs> you have to do yeah. it out of the goodness of your heart. And then, you know, then it, the rest of it is just sort of hoping that when you, you know, when you need something, somebody will kind of repay the favor, but, but not because you're expecting it. Right. Yeah. You know, you're, there is hope to this, right. It is Mm -hmm. a bit of a strategy with the giving first mentality. Um, But, you know, uh, I'm, I I feel like I'm doing pretty well on getting the returns from those relationships and, and, you know, you never know where they go. So, um, you know, just try to do your best. That's great. What does your day-to-day look like? Well, um, day to day, like I said, I get up almost every morning and sort of clear the head yeah. and think about the day. Um, you know, a lot of calls, a lot of, you know, uh, questions, asking, answering, mm-hmm. raising capital, you know, thinking critically about businesses, um, you know, trying to tap the resources on our team, you know, yeah. uh, how often I'm like, you know, Hey, Andreas, uh, you know, what do you think? How do you think this plays out in the numbers? And Andreas is, you know, just incredible with financial modeling and mm. understands, you know, uh, you know, risk profiles better mm. than almost anybody. Yeah. Um, and I and I talk to, you know, Morgan and Emily and Michael uh, about, you know, have you seen something like this before? And I mm. talk to Celia. Celia and I talk almost every day um, and just ripping through, uh, you know, whatever comes up we're dealing with, right? Whether it's, you know, banking or fundraising or due diligence or deal terms, mm-hmm. you know, it really is an active, fun, intense job. I try to turn it off, you know, five o'clock, you know, reemerges a dad with the family, um, make dinner, uh, spend some time, uh, and then get everybody to bed and work a little bit more and then start over again. Yeah. Right. Um, and let me just step back to Canopy Boulder here for a minute. Um, you've stepped down as CEO. So tell me what's going on with the, with that and, you know, what you're doing about finding yourself a new CEO. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, finding someone to run the accelerator again, there's a lot of people that are interested, uh, but it really is something where it, it's like, let's give you the tools and, you know, paint the portrait that you will want Canopy Boulder to be going forward. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it requires an ability to raise funds. Uh, mm-hmm. It requires the ability to uh, be a community leader and inspire people. It requires business knowledge, broad-based, it requires somebody who wants to build a network. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, you know, with fundraising, uh, due diligence, deployment, fund management experience. There's just not a lot of people out there that have the experience and the interest and the will to step into it. So we've struggled to find a person to run Canopy Boulder, but we're continuing to look for that person. And, Mm -hmm. you know, anybody who's interested, I encourage you to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, It's, it's, it's like an opportunity. It's not like a job, right? Right. It is. It's a, it's an opportunity to recreate your own sort of, you know, business. Um, Mm -hmm on the foundation of 
you know, a seven years of operations of a, a business accelerating big network. We have a big database. Mm-hmm. Um, you just need the artist to come in and right. You know. This is not a high paying job. Well, it can be, it can, it can be. be, Okay, yeah, but you have to raise the fund, right? You have to raise a fund. Um, mm-hmm. And we have a big base of investors who are interested. It's just about tapping in with the right person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and, but, but walking in off the street, it's not a big paying job there, but somebody can have to build something, right? Yeah. You have to build something. You have to invest. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, and, and I, I think it's really important. I, I remember uh, Peter Thiel said this in his book, zero to one, he talked about, and, and I completely agree with this, that, you know, if a founder is founding a company because they want to walk in and, you know, get paid a half a million dollars, wrong guy. Yeah. Yeah, Wrong go reason. get a corporate job. Uh, this yeah. isn't you know, right. entrepreneurship is not for you. Exactly. Uh, you can build up to that and mm-hmm. you will be rewarded right. for your efforts. But mm-hmm. when you start, uh, the sometimes it's not there. Great. Anything else you want to tell us about today? <sighs> that, we, today that I haven't covered that I've missed? <laughs> no, today is the best day of my life, right? I mean, yeah. and it should be for you too. If it isn't, you should be thinking about what you're doing and making changes. And um, I believe that entrepreneurship is one of those things where you can really chart your own course and it's, it's not for the faint of heart. You gotta be a little crazy to do it, but uh, the rewards are massive and um, you know, build a network, uh, you know, to support you. I think as a founder, you need to have those, that peer support uh, from other people that are doing the same thing. And um, I would encourage you to talk about what you want to do uh, speak to people. Don't be afraid mm-hmm. that your idea will be taken by someone else. Right. Uh, right. Ideas are are yeah. great, but they can be worthless without execution. Well, and that's a, a, yeah. You're exactly right. I mean, that people are so afraid to. Oh my God, I've got an idea, and I, I don't want to tell anybody about it. Yeah. The reality is, you could tell them everything about it, and they cannot execute on it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, would, I mean, my business is that way. They just can't. I can tell everybody everything, and they're still not going to be able to execute. Okay. Because, yep. you know, it depends on this and it depends on that. And what if this happens and what if that happens? So that's a really, really great point. I appreciate you saying that. Well, good. Well, Patrick Ray, it's really been a delight to spend with you today. I, I sure appreciate your time and uh, I wish you the best success um, in, in the new fund, as well as finding yourself a new CEO to replace yourself. <laughs> well, thanks, Carol. It's been a pleasure to be on your podcast with you. Thank you. Great. Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com slash podcast slash apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com, or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.